Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Blake. This morning, we are continuing the Lord Teaches to Pray sermon series. And as with each of the sermons in this series, the, the text is the same, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13. If you have your Bible this morning with you, please be making your way to Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13. And while you are doing that, I want to uh, say a special welcome to our radio audience this morning. We are thankful that you are a part of our congregation this morning. We know that there are a number of you listening. Also, maybe you are listening by podcast or sermon video. We want you to know if you are joining us by technology this morning, as the sermon concludes, you will either see or hear instructions of how to contact us if you have questions of a spiritual nature. And Brother Blake and I want you to know we would love to talk with you if you have questions of a spiritual nature. Again, this morning, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13. This is sermon number 5 of a six-part sermon series. So if you are physically able to stand at this point, would you stand with me as we read God's word together? And I, I would like you to read out loud with me this morning. Jesus says, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. Now, as we begin this morning, I just want to ask you a question, and I want you to hold your response to this question for just a moment. But I want to ask you, do you believe that the words of this prayer are true? And as you're thinking about that, I want to tell you about a sermon that I heard the, uh, J.D. Greer preach earlier this week on a podcast. And if you are not familiar with that name, he is the current president of our Southern Baptist Convention. He was given an analogy. He said that he knew of a college professor who was an atheist. And always on the first day of his class, this man taught a lecture class of 200 plus students. And he would always ask on the first day of his class, how many Christians are in this classroom? And they would raise their hand. And then he would ask another question. How many of you believe that the Bible, this book, is the inspired and the inerrant Word of God. Now, before we go on any further, I want just to describe to you what we mean when we say inspired and inerrant. When we talk about inerrant, we mean that there are no mistakes, no errors from the first page of the Bible through the last. And I absolutely believe that's true. There are no errors in this book. It does not contradict itself. Now, what we mean by biblical inspiration, just in a nutshell, quickly, it's the process uh, of God in conjunction with the Holy Spirit, giving the men who wrote the Bible, pouring into them in such a way that when they wrote the scriptures, that they are indeed the word of God. That's what we mean by biblical inspiration. So going back to this atheist college professor, the second question that he would ask, how many people believe that the Bible is the inspired and the inerrant Word of God. Again, the same number of hands go up. All the ones that say they're a Christian. His third question was, 
How many of you have read the Bible from cover to cover? And it was a much smaller number. Maybe two or three in that room of 200 people. And then he followed up with one additional question to those college students. How many of you have read the Harry Potter series? 75 or 80% of the hands in the classroom went up. And then he concluded by saying, you do not believe that the Bible is the inspired and the inerrant word of God. If you did, you would read it. If you did, you would read it. If you truly believe that, you would let the Bible transform your life through the reading of God's word. How is your life any different than the person sitting next to you who is not a Christian? And you know, it's caused me to think a lot this week. Folks, if we call ourselves a Christian, we have absolutely no excuse not to read the Bible. None. And if you can go through your day and go through your week and not feel convicted because you have not read God's Word, there's a problem. There's a huge problem. Folks, we have got to read the Bible. We have got to read it. Otherwise, we're not any different than the rest of the world. So again, this is sermon five of six of a, of a sermon series on Lord teaches to pray. And before we can get to our verse today, I have got to refresh just a little bit because it's been several weeks since you heard the last sermon. So at the beginning of this sermon series, the disciples had just posed a question to Jesus. And that question was, Lord teaches to pray. And I think it's interesting, as I've said every time, before Jesus tells them how to pray, he first tells them how not to pray. In verse 5, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. And the reason he said that is because those people that he was referring to as the hypocrites, they were standing in public places praying for the purpose of being seen. For the purpose of being seen. And I also think it's interesting in verse 5, Remember, Jesus always knows who he is talking to. Now, he could have used another word besides hypocrites, but he didn't. He used that word. Jesus calls it exactly what it is, hypocrites. And I know a lot of people get nervous when we start talking about hypocrites in church. But I want to talk about it just a minute this morning. If you have spent much time inviting people to church, that is probably... At least the number two excuse of people that don't want to come to church that they give. I don't want to go to church because I'm afraid there might be hypocrites there. Now, first of all, I want to say, I want to address this in two ways. If any of us are living our lives in such a way that somebody might be able to call us a hypocrite, then shame on us. Shame on us. But I am convinced that many times when we hear that, it is simply an excuse from people that simply don't want to go to church. When you think about it, where can we go that we want to encounter a hypocrite? When I go to the grocery, might I encounter a hypocrite? Yes. But do I still go to the grocery? Yes. When I go to the gas station, might I encounter a hypocrite? Yes. But I still need gas, so I go. It's simply an excuse. So if you're hearing my voice this morning and and you are considering using that as an excuse, I don't want to go to church. There might be a hypocrite there. Stop it. It's not an inval- it's not a valid excuse. And then in verse 7, Jesus says, "Don't pray like the Gentiles." 
Those people were praying to be heard. And then right in the middle of those two verses, in verse 6, he says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Now, I want to be sure that you understand, especially if this is the first sermon that you're hearing in this series, please don't try to think that this verse is saying that Jesus says you should not pray in public because that is not at all what he's saying. Please don't take that out of context. But remember, Jesus always knew who he was talking to. He always knew exactly what the situation was. Perhaps he knew that there might be a temptation of these men to either pray to be seen or pray to be heard. You know, if we are in a room with the door closed praying, there's no temptation to pray to be seen or to pray to be heard because the only person that hears us is is the only one that matters anyway. Now, in the second sermon, we see that Jesus does begin to tell his disciples, and if you call yourself a Christian, we are now one of his disciples. He starts to tell us how to pray. In that second sermon... We, we can concentrate on the first verse, verse 9, when he says to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we talked about what's it mean when we say our Father. And if you'll remember, I said a really good way to get the definition of that is to read the Baptist faith and message. And you can find that on our website. And then we, we went over what's it mean when we say hallowed be your name. And then we concluded that hallowed means to be holy or to make holy. The third sermon Focused on verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That sounds easy to say, but much more difficult to live. And we said that day, we've got to address two questions. First of all, what is God's kingdom? And then what's it mean when we pray for it to come or for it to arrive? So as far as what the kingdom of God, I shared with you this definition from a Bible scholar that simply says God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Now, when we think about that, God's people, if you are truly a child of God, if you call yourself a Christian, you are one of God's people. So that's talking about us, God's place. Now, when we think about that, typically what we think of is heaven, God's place. Under God's rule and blessing. Now, when we think of it like that, what a wonderful day that will be when we as God's people are in God's place, heaven, under his rule and blessing. When pain and suffering are no more, when we experience death no more, when we experience cancer no more. What a wonderful place that will be. And then what's it mean to pray for God's kingdom to arrive? And I I shared this quote with you from Dr. Albert Moeller. And again, in case you have forgotten or in case this is the first sermon that you're hearing in this series, this entire series was inspired by a book that I read by Dr. Moeller that is called The Prayer That Turns the World Upside Down. But in that book, Dr. Moeller quotes, The Bible teaches that God's kingdom only comes as God's people preach God's word, which coupled with God's spirit produces life and obedience. And then the last sermon that you heard focused on verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And if you remember that particular day for the vast majority of the sermon, I had on a chef's apron that one of my friends had made for me and they had embroidered that particular verse on it. And I also had on a pedestal out here a loaf of bread. And we talked about this particular verse And if you were here that day, I began to to teach that day that this verse gives us an indication that we indeed are needy people and God is our provider. 
Sometimes that's something we don't want to think about. In fact, God has designed us as humans to be dependent upon Him. We also talked about how He cares for the birds of the air. How He provides for them. And then we worry sometimes, is He going to provide for us? Of course He is, if we're in His will. It may look completely different than what we were expecting, but He will provide for us. And then we said we must get to the place where we realize that our lives are not supposed to be divided between spiritual activities and earthly activities. Instead, every one of our activities should be lived for the glory of God. And I hope you can say this morning that's a true statement for your life, that every one of your activities is lived out specifically for the glory of God. Then we look finally at John 6.35. Where Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And you'll remember that we said that when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. What we are really praying is give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. He is all that I need. Nothing else. It's just Jesus. Only Jesus. So that brings us to today, sermon number five. And we are going to be looking at Matthew six twelve today, which simply says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, many of you remember that I spent a lot of time in the banking industry. And I, I, I just want to tell you, most people, not all people, but most people have difficulty going through their entire adult life without ever encountering any debt. Again, it's not impossible that somebody could do that, but it is not easy to live your entire adult life and never have any debt. In fact, we are a nation of debtors for the most part. I have seen people that have ended up with so much debt, they simply could not repay it. And they ended up in a financial disaster. But I want to be certain that you don't hear me incorrectly this morning. I am not by any means saying that debt's a bad thing. I'm saying you've got to manage it wisely. You have got to manage it wisely. Sometimes our culture or our society that we live in encourages debt. Now, many of you know that our oldest son, Eli, took a job in Louisville back in the summer. As soon as he accepted that job, we immediately began looking for apartments. He found one that was fairly close to where he was going to be working, started the application process, and it began, it became really evident near the beginning that they were not going to approve him. It was not because of anything derogatory in his credit report. It was not because of lack of repayment ability. The problem was that particular place required that he have three monthly payment loans that he had been repaying for longer than 12 months. That was a requirement. And so I thought that's got to be wrong. So I called him myself and I said, I I can't imagine that. You should be looking at repayment ability. You should be looking at his salary. You should be looking at his overall debt load. It made no difference. They were not going to approve him. They would not even let me apply with him um, on the lease. So it had to be him and him only. 
And I asked the man, I said, do you realize most people his age, if they had three monthly payment loans, they would not be able to make your rent payment. It made no difference. That was one of their requirements. Now, now, what God did, he sent him to a much better place, a better neighborhood. God worked it out, but it was very, very frustrating. But our society many times encourages debt. Again, we've got to uh, approach debt wisely. Now, when we look at debt in the context of this particular verse, I want us to look at it specifically as being obligations that are incurred. And I want to give you two examples that we need to look at specifically in this context. The first are referred to as sins of omission. And what that means, it's simply not doing something that the Bible tells us to do. That is a sin of omission. Anytime that we do not do something that God's Word tells us to do. The other example that I want to give you is called a sin of commission. And that is a sin that we actively commit. Both are sins. But I want us to to think about it uh, along those lines this morning. So when we are thinking about praying this, forgive us our debts. What we are saying, we want them to go away. We want them to go away. For the ones of you that have debt right now, currently, how would you feel if this afternoon when you got home, your creditors called you and said, have a good day. You no longer owe us anything. Your debt has been paid. Your debt has been forgiven. Most of us would be happy. Most of us would be rejoicing if we got that call. Well, guess what? Our debt has been paid. Our debt has been paid. Jesus Christ did that for us. But we've got to get to the mindset where we realize that we owed a debt that we could not pay. We owed a debt that we could not repay. It simply was not possible. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. Although it is a free gift, we still have to accept it. Folks, I want you to hear loud and clear, not everybody goes to heaven when they die. They don't. You go to heaven when you die if and only if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And I want us to just to reevaluate our lives today throughout the remainder of this sermon to figure out, do we really have a relationship with Jesus? What would it be like if we were standing face to face with Jesus Christ right this moment? Folks, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. We don't necessarily need our abilities. We don't necessarily need our assets that we have acquired. But what we do need is Jesus Christ. When we look at uh, Matthew six twelve, what do you believe is the most important word or concept in this verse? It's forgive or forgiveness. First, I want you to know this prayer establishes that we are sinners, all in need of His forgiveness. I want you to know that the problem is not a lack of education. The problem is not a lack of opportunity. The problem is not an inability to express ourselves. The problem is not unmet social needs. Folks, what our problem is is sin. And we need God's forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
That is our problem this morning. Now, I want to give you an example of something that's happened to me over the last week and a half or so. There are a few of you that know that I take walking very seriously. Now, I know there's probably a number of you that look at me and think he never does any exercise at all. But you would be grossly incorrect if you make that assumption. Five out of seven days a week, I walk at 5 a.m. in the morning. A minimum of 2.3 miles. Five o'clock in the morning. Anytime you want to come and join me at 5 a.m., come right on. We will walk unless it's raining or if it's storming. Throughout the summer months, it's not a lot of problem to see at 5 a.m. But the time of year we're in right now, it's difficult to see without some type of light. About a week and a half ago, I was out walking. I walked the same track every day. I thought I knew where I was. I really did. I've lived in that neighborhood the vast majority of my life. I thought I knew exactly where I was. I was about a mile from my house and um, walking along. And the next thing I knew, I was in the process of falling. And while I was in the process of falling, I knew before I ever hit the ground, I knew for one thing for certain. I knew that I was not where I thought I was. I knew that I was not where I thought I was. Because you see, as I was walking along, if my foot had slipped off the road, it should have been my left foot. But my right foot is what slipped off the road. With it being pitch dark, there was a curve that I didn't realize was there. I just kept walking straight. I walked straight across the road and off into the ditch. Now, first of all, I want to give God praise because I could have broken any number of things. Could have broken a hip, a leg, a shoulder, arms, anything. I could have broken it. But you see, I was right on the verge of falling and I didn't know it. I thought everything was fine. I thought everything was just fine. I was telling my sister about it and she said, you need to get one of those lights that you strap on your head. And I, I ordered one that day. I've been using it this week. And oh, what a difference that makes. Oh, what a difference the light makes. You can see things from a completely different perspective. A completely different perspective. Look what the light allowed me to see the second day that I wore it. Snake. And guess what? Had I not had that light on, I would have stepped right on top of it, not knowing that it was there. Now, what is it we typically associate a snake with? Sin, right? Guess what? The light exposes sin in our lives. Don't think it won't. Do not think it won't. If you are dealing with unconfessed sin in your life right now, it might seem like everything is fine. It's not. It is not fine. It will be exposed. It's just a matter of when. I wonder, do you need the light in your life this morning? I wonder, are you right on the edge of falling spiritually and you don't even know it? The light will expose that. And folks, I want to tell you, if you know you've got sin in your life and you're okay with that, 
you've got a big problem. You have got a huge problem. I'm going to tell you, you need the light in your life. And his name is Jesus Christ. Secondly, Jesus teaches us that not only we, that we have sin, but we also have the hope of forgiveness. We have got the hope of forgiveness. Jesus is teaching sinners who are rebels against God to approach his throne, a throne established in justice and holiness, and ask for his forgiveness. Third, God is willing and he desires to forgive us of our sins. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9 says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. But he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And then Jesus affirms to us that when we experience God's forgiveness, guess what? We are transformed into a forgiving people. Now, you know what that means? It means we've got to forgive people whether or not they ask you for it, whether or not your ears ever hear them say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? It means we've got to forgive them anyway. And if we have a problem doing that, we need to reevaluate, is Jesus really in my life or not? Now, I'm going to tell you, sometimes over my lifetime, I'm now 52 years old, but I've talked with some historians who can just instantly tell me how somebody wronged them 30 years ago, but I've forgiven them. No, you haven't. If you keep replaying what somebody has done to you 30 years ago, you have not forgiven them. If you get to the point where you've forgiven them, you will not talk about it any longer. We've got to forgive as Jesus forgives. Those who truly know the forgiveness of sins will forgive others. Again, whether or not they ever ask for it. Aren't we glad that Jesus forgave us? Are we not glad? Should we not extend that to others? Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22 Peter comes up and says to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Now, I imagine Peter was probably astounded when he heard that answer. But really, the answer is not even seventy-seven times. Jesus was using exaggeration there. We forgive We continue to forgive. Whether it's 77 times or 777 times, we continue to forgive. Dr. Moeller also states that hard hearts have no place in the kingdom of God. I hope we'll take this seriously this morning. I wonder, is there somebody that you need to forgive? Maybe they're here. They may be here this morning. Maybe you need to go to them and ask for their forgiveness. Maybe it's somebody that's not here. Maybe you just need to come forward and lay that burden at the foot of Jesus and leave it there. You know, when when we hold a grudge with somebody, many times the other person doesn't even know it. And we're the person it affects, not necessarily even them. We need to forgive. Maybe there's people here this morning 
that you know for certain that you are not prepared to stand in front of Jesus face to face. And you realize that could happen today. That could happen before you even leave this building. It could happen before you go home. It's going to be too late then to do anything about it. I want you to know this morning that accepting Jesus, asking Him to be your Lord and Savior, it's not a difficult process. It is not a difficult process. Now, it is much more difficult to live after the fact. But the process of accepting Jesus is not difficult. I will never forget seeing Miss Linda Hall sitting right there. I will never forget something that she shared with me years ago, right after I came here. She told about the night that she went forward and prayed to accept Jesus as her Savior. She said that the seat was hot. The floor was hot. She could feel that. Folks, I'm going to tell you, I pray routinely for hot seats. I do. And I hope it puts the fear into you. When you feel that temporary heat, it's nothing like hell's going to feel like. Nothing. I've heard people say, I I might as well just go to hell. It can't be any worse than what I'm living now. Yes, it can. Yes, it is. You do not even want to consider going to hell. If you're hearing my voice this morning and you are not a Christian, it's as easy as we teach children in Bible school that it is. It's the ABCs of Christianity. You've got to be willing to admit that you're a sinner. That you've got things in your life that have separated you from God. Those things are called sin. You've got to be able to believe that Jesus is God's Son. That He loved you so much that He came and lived on this earth and managed to do it without any sin. He loved you so much that He gave His life for you on that old rugged cross. He was buried and then three days later He arose. You've got to be willing to believe that. And then you've got to be willing to repent and confess. You've got to be willing to turn from your life of sin. Now, will we still occasionally mess up? Yes. But we should not be comfortable messing up. If we are, we've got a problem. We should strive for holiness. His word says, be holy for I am holy. That's what our standard is. So I wonder this morning, as we prepare for the invitation, if there are people who have needs in this building. I wonder if maybe you were just like I was when I was walking without that light on my head. I was on the verge of a fall and didn't even know it. I thought everything was fine. Perhaps some of you this morning are on the verge of a fall and you don't know it because you've been blinded by the world. I want you to know this morning that Jesus is the light and He desires that you be saved. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank You for the day that You've given us. Father, thank You for bringing us into this place today. Father, I pray right now as we as we begin this time of invitation, what I pray that You will simply move in a mighty way. What I pray that You will expose the sin in our lives. And Father, I pray that we will not be comfortable continuing to live with sin in our lives. Father, I pray that You will transform lives today in this place. I pray that you will transform hearts. Pray that we will see you save people and set people free. And I pray that we will see forgiveness 
inside this place today. And most of all, I pray that you will be glorified. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. This morning, if you need to make a decision for Christ, if you need to come and pray, I want you to know that I'll be here. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.